In the 80s, there was a popular television show called Different Strokes. Some of y'all probably know the sayings coming to your mind right now. We're about to hear it. How many of y'all are familiar with this show? Okay, whoa, a lot of us. Good. Well, for those of y'all who are not, this show was a comedy about two boys named Arnold and Willis. And their mother had been a, a maid for a wealthy man named Mr. Drummond, who lived in this penthouse. And after their mother died, not wanting the boys to return to the streets from which they came, Mr. Drummond decides that he wants to adopt the boys and raise them in his penthouse. And the whole show revolves around these two boys trying to learn to live in the penthouse after having grown up in poverty. And a lot of the comedy comes into the show when these boys bring their old ways into this new environment. Check out this clip from the show. I don't care what Dad says. I gotta see Charlene. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> I gotta give her that bracelet. But Dad said you had to study. Oh, I can't study thinking about her. Man, I never felt this way about anybody before. Well, someone's gonna ruin you. You, you'll flunk out of school, you won't be able to get a job, and you'll end up a wino in the gutter selling maps to tourists. Well, at least y'all need to be right there in the gutter with me. <laughs> On second thought, you won't flunk out of school. Dad is going to kill you before you get the chance. Don't worry, Arnold. Dad won't find out. Willis, what are you doing with my pillow? What, what, what is this? Dad'll think that this big lump is me. <laughs> He'll also have to think you're pregnant. <laughs> You'll never fool Dad with that old trick. Why not? All he's gonna do is stick his head in the door and say goodnight to the lump. You better get a lump that answers back. <laughs> say what? Woolas, if Charlie means that much to you, you're gonna need some help to save your butt. <laughs> Come over here, and I'll record you saying goodnight. And play it back when Dad comes in. And you better say goodnight to Kimberly and Adelaide, too, just in case. No way, Arnold. Why not? Because it's silly to say that. To say what? Goodnight, Dad. Goodnight, Kimberly. Goodnight, Adelaide. Okay, okay. Then don't say it. Listen, Arnold, I'll see you later, man. Good luck, Willis. Right. So the whole show was about how difficult it is for people to rid themselves of old patterns once they've been established and follow the right ones. When God found you and me, we're in spiritual poverty. And though He has now changed a lot of our situation as believers and, and has now seated us in the penthouse, many of us are still trying to learn to live in this new environment. And a lot of times, those old habits from the old neighborhood pop up. And the question for us today is the same as it is for Arnold and Willis. Can we resist our old patterns and in turn follow the right ones?
We're continuing our study this morning through the book of Philippians. And in today's, uh, you know, last week, before we get into today's passage, last week, remember, we talked about the fact that, that Paul talks about how joy is to be found not in being content and complacent in your life spiritually, but by pressing on, by continuing to run the race that is set before us. And in our text for today, once again, we see Paul the pastor continuing to encourage the Christians at Philippi to press on. And in the passage for today, he explains to them how to press on by giving them the proper pattern to follow. So this morning, we're going to learn that joy is possible, but it's only possible if we learn to follow the right pattern, okay? So let's get started this morning. Here's the first principle. If you're going to experience joy by following the right pattern, you have to imitate the patterns of faithful followers of Christ. Verse 17, we're in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, throughout the book, Paul is putting forth helpful patterns, isn't he? Remember, he puts forth Christ as a pattern of humility. And then he looks to Timothy and Epaphroditus and gives us uh, their examples to follow of what it means to be a, a faithful Christian and live full and faithful lives for God. And here in verse 17, Paul puts himself forward. And he says, be imitators of me. Now, some might hear this and say, wow, Paul's, he's kind of full of himself, isn't he? What an arrogant thing to say, be imitators of me, follow my example. But let me show you why that's not the case here. Why Paul's not being arrogant and saying, be imitators of me. One reason is, is because he he not only draws attention to himself, but he draws attention to others as well. He says, fix your eyes on others and follow their example. What Paul is saying here is, follow faithful followers of God. Look to those who are faithfully following after God and follow their example. I'm doing it. Others are doing it. Imitate me and imitate them. The second reason why I don't believe Paul's being arrogant here is because, remember we talked about in the previous section last week, that Paul, even though he walked as closely to God as as any we know of in the New Testament, he says something very important in that passage. He says, I am not yet there spiritually. And I talked about how that should bring us comfort as believers when we're beat down, thinking we'll never be what God requires. And and Paul is saying here, I'm not there yet. He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. We talked about the fact that Paul is not satisfied with where he is because he knows he's not where he needs to be spiritually. Okay? Well, if that's the case then why should we be imitators of Paul? If he's not where he needs to be spiritually, why is he a good example for us? And this is the reason why. Because we are all in the same boat, aren't we? All of us, without exception, are in the same boat. None of us are where we need to be spiritually. But what makes Paul different is, he's got the proper diagnosis and prescription for us. 
Sometimes when I get sick, I try to diagnose myself. I get online and I kind of read the symptoms and I think, okay, this is what I, I need, this, this, and this. And sometimes I'll get it right, but sometimes I get it wrong. And the medicine I take doesn't make me any better and sometimes it makes matters worse. Then I have to go seek professional advice on what's wrong so they can give me the proper diagnosis and prescription. You know, many have done this spiritually. They have misdiagnosed themselves spiritually and are responding in ways that don't result in growth and godliness. Some will say this, well, at least I'm not where I used to be spiritually. Or some of you may look around and say, well, I'm not like this person or that person, so I must be good. That's a misdiagnosis. Some people will say, well, I'm not at the front of the pack, but I'm also not bringing up the rear. I'm somewhere in the middle, so I'm good. That's a misdiagnosis. Just because you're not where you used to be spiritually does not mean you're where you need to be. It's important that we realize this. Scriptures are clear. We're not to be comparing ourselves with the way we used to be or with this person over here or that person over there. We're to be comparing ourselves with Christ. Only then, when we do that, can we get the proper perspective on where we are and how far we need to go. You ever wonder? I mean, it must have blown the, uh, the, the Christians at Philippi's mind when they heard Paul say, I'm not where I need to be. Boy, that would cause me to look at myself and be like, well, I must not be either. Paul had the proper perspective. He knew what he meant by, I'm not yet there. I'm not like Christ. I'm moving in that direction, but I'm not there. There's more work to be done. It's the proper diagnosis, and he gives the proper prescription to press on. So we're to imitate him and imitate others like him. Follow the patterns of faithful followers of Christ. Number two. If you want to experience joy by following the right pattern, you have to avoid the patterns of enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 18 and 19, Paul says, For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. So after putting forth good, godly examples to follow, Paul says, after, after saying, follow this example in verse 17, he gives the uh, characteristics of, of others in verses 18 and 19 that are to be avoided at all costs. Avoid this pattern. There are statistics that tell us that we have to hear things a certain number of times before it actually sets in. And God, knowing this is the case, often reminds us of things in the Scripture over and over and over again. And when He does that, we need to really tune in. And He does that here with enemies of the cross in false teaching. Let's look at the first pattern of enemies of the cross of Christ. 
They are enemies of the cross. That's the first pattern to be avoided. We're to avoid these people because they are enemies of the cross. God, time and time again, is warning us against false teachers. And this is not by accident. God wants us to get it. He wants us to get it. We are to be on guard against false teachers. This is a warning he makes over and over again. Now, commentators are, you know, they're, they're in debate on who Paul is talking about here when he says, for many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. But we can narrow it down to two groups Paul could have been talking about because there were two groups in the first century that Paul warns against when it comes to beliefs and teachings about salvation. The first group were those who added to the gospel. These are the Judaizers. Remember, we've talked about them already. The Judaizers at this time were threatening the health of, of the church at Philippi. And their beliefs were that Christ, though significant, is not sufficient. You need Christ, but you also need to be circumcised and abide by Jewish law to be made right with God. They added to the gospel. Paul warns about them. There was a second group that Paul often warned about in the first century, and that, they were those who took away from the gospel. They subtracted from the gospel. This was a Gentile group, and they reasoned that, that once you're right with God, once, you're, once you've been saved, you can live however you want to live and still be in right standing with God. Paul says both of these are a far cry from New Testament Christianity. Both of these groups are, are in the wrong. That's why he calls them enemies of the cross. And guess what? It's 2011. And we still see these two beliefs that are present in our world today, don't we? We have some who believe my works can make me right. Yeah, I may, I may throw Christ in there, but there's also, it's Christ plus what I do can make me right with God. And then there's a second group out there who believe, you know, once I'm in, I'm in. Then I can live however I want to live, however sinful and immoral and unrepentant I want to live and still be on good terms with God. What does Paul say about these groups? They are enemies of the cross. They have rejected the biblical view of salvation. And they believe and teach something that, that is not even close. And he warns us against these groups. So we have to be on guard against enemies of the cross of Christ and avoid their patterns of deceit. Like we said earlier in the sermon series a few weeks ago, their message is toxic. Though they may do it in love and though you, you know, they may do it on a smile, with a smile on their face, they are throwing you a life raft with a hole in it. They're giving you poison and telling you it's the cure. Their message is toxic and it's to be avoided. Second characteristic, second pattern of enemies of the cross, their beliefs do not save. Paul says their end is destruction. The reason Paul warns against the influence of these false teachers is because their belief system does not save. That word destruction refers to eternal destruction and torment in hell. Their end is destruction. 
A while back, I was watching a movie on TV called Open Water. Now, I don't know if any of y'all have seen it. I don't suggest you go see it. It's terrifying. And it doesn't end well. So there you go. You do not have my stamp to go see this movie. It's terrifying and it doesn't end well. But it's filmed like a documentary. And that's what makes it even more scary. It looks like it's real. And it's about a couple that go scuba diving and they get stranded in the middle of the ocean. They get left. I know. And the whole movie, you're watching and you're hoping as they fight to stay alive, as they're waving down boats and, and planes, and, and as they survive a night in the middle of the ocean through a storm, you're hoping somebody's going to find them because they're working so hard to stay alive. <clears throat> and in the end, they both die. I know. Don't go see it. That's why I told you the ending. I'm not suggesting you go see this movie. But here's my point. Here's the point I'm making. Here's the point I'm making by this. They put forth so much effort, but it was all for naught. In the end, it was just futile. That's the way it is with those beliefs that are contrary to the cross of Christ. It doesn't matter how much effort's being put forth or lack thereof, it's all for naught. It's futile. That's what Paul is getting at at the early part of, of chapter 3, where he lays out this impressive religious resume. He said, when it comes to being a Jew, I was the man. More so than any of these Judaizers. And then what does Paul say? I consider it to be nothing. He puts that religious resume, like we said, just through the shredder. Because it can't do anything for me when it comes to salvation. Paul came to realize his best was not good enough. All that work that he put in was futile. And Paul is informing the Christians at Philippi here, in order to press on to be all God calls you to be, you have to reject these beliefs that end in destruction, that are futile. Third pattern of enemies of the cross of Christ, they are driven by their own pleasure. Paul says their God is their belly. In other words, they are worshipers of themselves. They don't go by what's right and wrong. They don't make decisions in that way. But they make decisions based upon what brings me the most amount of pleasure. This was especially the case with the Gentile group. They wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to live however they wanted to live, but in the end, they wanted to still get in. Paul is clear. They don't have salvation. And he calls for believers to avoid this pattern of behavior. I love my two girls to death. But at this time in their life, their God is their belly. It is. When Edie, little precious Edie, when she doesn't get what she wants, she will scream and cry and let you know it. And Ava, she wants what she wants when she wants it, and she wants it right now. 
and we'll do whatever it takes to get it. That's ingrained in us. It is. It's ingrained in us. And unfortunately, many people never grow out of this. Now, we're praying that, that one of these days they're going to get to the point, you know, when they live to, to honor God. But unfortunately, some people never get to this point, do they? And they're still living in this way with their God being their, their stomach. And society says, that's okay. You got to do what's best for you. No matter what happens with anybody else, you got to do what's best for you. If it feels right, it can't be wrong. Follow your heart. Do what feels right. Make decisions based upon this. I've heard people say before, you know, I know what I did kind of seems wrong, but I had to do what was best for me. Or I know what I did really hurt you, but I had to follow my heart on that. My heart said, do what's best for me. People reason this way all the time, don't they? Because they are driven by their own pleasure. Their God is their belly, and Paul urges the Christians at Philippi to avoid this pattern. Next. They celebrate their sinful behavior. They are to be avoided because they celebrate their sinful behavior. Paul says they glory in their shame. In other words, they are proud of what they should be ashamed of. That word glory means to boast. Paul is talking about those who boast in and celebrate their sinfulness. I recently heard a <clears throat> conversation. I was out somewhere and it was some, some uh, college kids and they were talking about how drunk they got the night before. How wasted they got, and they were talking kind of braggingly about it, and how hard they partied, and all this and that. That's what Paul's getting at. That's the apex of what Paul's getting at. Celebrating sinful behavior. The guy at the party with the lampshade on his head, dancing around, that's what it means to celebrate sin. He's proud of behavior he should be ashamed of. Paul looked at this as being the most extreme form of wickedness. But here's what's important for us to understand. That's not just an idea that's out there, even though it is. Celebrating sin is not just what happens at Woodstock, even though it did. It's not just an idea that's out in the open, in public, in this manner. Paul knows that that is the war that's raging within us within the human heart. Paul knows believers struggle with this desire to want to rebel and to want to go out on their own and live the way they want to live and enjoy it. Remember the Rolling Stone, songs, I'm, uh, the Rolling Stone song, I'm Free? That's the cry of the human heart. I want to be free to do what I want any old time. This is a battle that's raging within us. Paul warns against it. Ask yourself this morning, is this a pattern in my life? Is this a desire of my heart to be free, to live how I want to live and enjoy it? 
Paul says that this is a pattern of enemies of the cross of Christ and is the worst kind of wickedness and is to be avoided at all cost. The last pattern. Their minds are on earthly things. Avoid patterns of enemies of the cross of Christ because their mind are on earthly things. That's exactly what Paul says. He says their minds are set on earthly things. Paul is making the point here that enemies of the cross cross of Christ have their minds so set on the here and now that they have no eternal perspective. My family's here this morning filling up a couple rows. We had uh, Edie Rose's birthday yesterday. And my mom can attest to this. And I didn't plan this. I didn't know they were going to be here on this week. But when I was growing up, my brother and I, because we were playing sports and growing, you know, and I mean, we were hungry all the time, we could eat them out of house and home. And during the, during the school year, it wasn't that much of a problem because we were gone most of the day. But in the summertime when we're home, and then it becomes a problem. So my mom decided that she was going to make us snack sacks. And we had, they was filled up once a week. And she told us, now you can eat it all at once if you want to, but once you eat it up, it's gone until the next week. And we learned that she meant what she said the first couple of weeks because we would, we would eat it all up and then wouldn't have any snacks for the rest of the week. At times, we were so focused with what we wanted to snack on Monday and Tuesday that we didn't consider what eating all our snacks meant for the rest of the week. And that's Paul's point here. There are many living for right now to such an extent, they have their minds so set on the here and now that they are not even considering what they're doing right now, what that means for eternity. They're doing that exact thing. And Paul is getting at it here. You you have to avoid this. Temptation to live for right here and right now. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In this verse, Jesus is talking about those who are so earthly minded that they're of no heavenly good. He says, what good is it for you to be so focused on what's taking place right here and right now that you forfeit everything that matters for eternity? Paul also encourages us to to avoid this pattern. Don't just live for today, for this life only. Avoid being so earthly minded that you're of no heavenly good. So this is the second pattern. Paul has said, imitate patterns of the faithful followers of Christ and and avoid patterns of enemies of the cross of Christ. And this last point here, their minds are set on earthly things. That leads us into our last point. Point number three, pattern to follow. Live as citizens of heaven as you long for the return of Christ. Live as citizens of heaven as you long for the return of Christ. Instead of setting your minds on the things of this world and living for the here and now, 
Paul encourages us to set our minds on heavenly things and live for the time when our Savior will return. He says in verse 20 and 21, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power <clears throat> that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Notice Paul shifts gears here in this verse. He says, but our. In the previous verses, he's been using the word there, talking about enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And then he says, but our. He's saying, that's the pattern of enemies of the cross of Christ. You need to be set apart from that. Which is why he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now, Paul brings up this idea of citizenship again here in this verse, and we've talked about it before. As I've explained to you earlier, this point would have been a lot to the Christians at Philippi because Philippi was a Roman colony, and they took pride in that association. They lived as Romans. They talked like the Romans. They dressed like the Romans, even though they were 800 miles away, and many of them had probably never even been to Rome. And Paul, with this idea in mind, says this. In a similar way, though you are a ways away, live right now in the present as citizens of heaven. Then he goes on to say, out of which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious Body. So after calling the Christians at Philippi to live as citizens of heaven, here Paul gives the proper motivation in doing so. He says, a time is coming when Christ is going to return. And it's something to live for, and it's something to look forward to, because it's going to be good. When Christ returns, He's going to transform your lowly body to be like His glorious body. All that you're working for right now, all that you're pressing on to be like is going to be completed when Christ returns. Keep living, keep striving, keep pressing on because this is coming. And it's not something that might be. It's something that will be. It's a divinely secured certainty. And it's worth living for and it results in joy. Here's what's so tragic about people living for right here and right now who are finding happiness in this world. Here's the tragedy with that kind of mentality. The enjoyments to be had here do not compare with the joy that comes through knowing God and living for Him. When you settle for the things of this world, you know what you're doing? You're settling for, for far less than what God intends in your life. That is a fact. Remember the story I told about the dad whose daughter comes to him and says, Dad, I want a nickel. And he searches his pockets and all he finds is a $20 bill, but he decides to give it to her. She said, No, Dad, you don't understand. I want a nickel. And he said, No, you don't understand. This is a $20 bill. This is a bunch of nickels. 
And they argued back and forth, and finally the girl chose the shiny silver coin. That's what we do when we allow ourselves to be satisfied and find enjoyment in the things of this life only. We settle for nickels when there are 20s to be had. Nothing compares to the joy to be had in a life lived for God. Let me say this to close this out. Let me share with you why resisting the wrong pattern and following the right one is difficult. The problem with wrong patterns is that they're just what we naturally, inherently do. We do them well. We can follow the wrong pattern with the best of them, right? That's just what's ingrained in us. That's what we naturally do. It's like when I mentioned earlier, different strokes. What was difficult for the boys was doing away with the old patterns from the old neighborhood. That's the same case with us today. They're what come naturally to us because we are sinful and we are fallen. And if those patterns continue, what results is an absence of joy and will ultimately lead to destruction. See, the problem is we have this sin condition in our lives, and it, and it causes us to be driven by pleasure and to celebrate sin and to live for this life only. But here's the good news. God has chosen for us to have another way. There's another pattern, a divine design. And joy is only possible in this world if we follow that pattern and that design. But for that to happen, we have to know the designer. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know him. You're on the other path. You don't know about the, the path, the, the, the alternate path that's been laid out by the divine designer. Let me urge you today to come to know him, come to know that design, that pattern. You can come to know him by trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Through trusting in Christ, you can move from being on the wrong path, being at odds with God, to being a child of God and on the right path. I pray that if you have not already, that today would be the day that you change your citizenship from destruction to heaven. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded this morning how much we need you. Because we are fallen. And we are sinners. We, we naturally just drift to following these wrong patterns in life. Help us, Father, to resist these wrong patterns and follow the right ones. Lord, for those here this morning who don't know you, I pray, God, that you would do a great work in their heart and life and that they would, in turn, trust in Christ for their salvation and move from being on the wrong path at odds with you 
to being on the right path and being made right with you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and close.